Burning Zozo Written by Kristen Knight Narrated by Nancy Peterson 1.8 Mass Murder Andy slid on a boxy blue smock, black jeans, and second-hand men's sneakers. She brushed her halfway to blonde hair into a ponytail and wrapped a ready-to-break elastic around it. Using Jenna's stage makeup, she tried to cover the blossoming bruise on her cheek, but failed. In full light, an indigo shadow still shimmered beneath the concealer. Nice shoes, Luke blurted as Andy entered the kitchen. You look like the old dude with a comb over that cleans my school. Shut it, Andy said. Where's Mom? Sleeping it off, Luke said, chomping. That was lucky, Andy mumbled to herself, then poured a bowl of cereal and opened the spoon drawer. Her mother's purse lay nearby. Andy pushed it away. Miraculously, Liz's latest Robitussin and beer bender had kept her from noticing that the credit cards were now out of order and half the babysitting money was gone. When she did notice, there would be hell to pay. Andy finished her Fruit Loops and instinctively reached for her phone to call Chris. Then she remembered the look he'd given her in the jail. Like she was dirty. She texted him instead. Chris, I'm so sorry I got you in trouble. Had no choice. You know why. Please, 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 please forgive. She tucked the phone in her pocket and hustled out the door. The overhead cloud bank was slowly sinking, like a steel-gray coffin closing on the city. Santa Fe had never been without turquoise sky for so long in July. It made the citizens uneasy in a way they couldn't quite explain. Andy, on the other hand felt a strange comfort from the ashy blanket. Beneath it, she felt less exposed, less easy to see, especially outdoors. As she rode her bike, she stretched her hand high, imagining she could brush the soft surface of the clouds with her fingertips. She passed the bed and breakfast owned by Great Grant's parents. Balloons and crepe paper floated and twisted above the gate. What the... She muttered when she saw the words, Congratulations, Grant. Second place at debate nationals. On a sign. Her hand dropped and suddenly pedaling became difficult. It was as if her legs had soaked up years of disappointment and couldn't pump it free. She looked away from the balloons and spit out every derivative of the word shit she could think of. As she struggled along Paseo de Peralta, she noticed a fast-moving rain cloud darken and move toward her. But there was no wind, not in the trees or the fabric flag hanging outside the curio shop. Weird, she mumbled, then slowed her bike, trying to figure out why. Just then, the cloud reached the Kakawa chocolate shop and abruptly stopped. The cloud broke into thousands of tiny pieces and dove from the sky. She rubbed her eyes, but the black bit still came, 
a sound like hundreds of tiny chains grinding in a gear grew around her. Andy gasped, swung her bike around, and tried riding as hard as she could away from the massive swarm. But she was too late. The black locusts hit her hard on the back of the head, the arms, legs, pelting and stinging every inch of her. She screamed as the air around her thickened with angry bodies. She swam through the mass, batting thousands of the bugs with each swat. No, she yelled, then covered her mouth and nose, trying to suck in any bit of air she could through her fingers. When the hitting didn't work, she hunkered over and covered her head. The swarm thickened around her, pelting her in waves of disgusting wings, legs, and crunching bodies. She closed her eyes and screamed again. Then all at once, she felt nothing. No more bodies. No noise. In an instant, the swarm had disappeared. Slowly, she opened her eyes to find millions of dead black grasshoppers blanketing the road, the sidewalks, even the surrounding roofs and yards. It was as if the sky had vomited up an entire swarm that had dropped dead all at once. Shaken, Andy tried to steady her bike, put her feet on the pedals and pump, but the thick layer of death below gave her tires no grip. She attempted to push the bike forward with the balls of her feet to give it a jump start when a blue car appeared behind her. She turned to see it swerving, twisting, sliding towards her. It screeched as the driver saw her and slammed on the brakes. Sliding sideways, it came at Andy. The bitter taste of adrenaline filled her mouth as she struggled to get her bike to move in any direction. Time slowed, then Andy's ability to move within it stopped. Her heart banging against her chest was the only movement she could muster. A moment later, the passenger door of the careening blue car smacked into her, pushing her up onto the hood of a parked car. Her face, then head, slammed against the metal, stinging the bruise her mother's hand had left. A driver stumbled out of the blue car. Oh, God, are you okay? Please be okay. A young man wearing a Texas A&M t-shirt rushed to Andy. I tried to stop, but it's like I hit an oil slick or something. I know. Andy took the man's hand and let him help her off the hood of the car. She shook out her arms and legs. Nothing broken. She had a hole in the knee of her jeans, but no blood. Are you sure you're okay? We should call an ambulance. No hospitals. I'm fine. She picked up her bike that was laying in the street and put it on the sidewalk. I feel like we should at least call the cops, exchange information so my insurance... No cops, Andy interrupted, and no hospitals. I'm fine, and your car looks fine. I'm sorry, but I'm late for a new job. You're sure? Can I at least buy you some coffee or, or pay for your jeans? No, I'm really late. Andy turned and walked her bike to the next bit of sidewalk, not blanketed with dead locusts. The driver spun his tires until they found enough of a grip to back off the layer of bodies. Andy was trying to reason out how the insects could have died all at once when she coasted into the parking lot behind a sign reading, Whispering Mountain Maids, Clean, Thorough, and Quiet as a Whisper. 
She swung the glass door wide to find a thin Pueblo woman with turquoise hoop earrings waiting at reception. Hi. What happened to you? the woman asked. You're a mess. I had an accident. Andy tried to brush away the bits of dismembered wings from her smock. Well, I can't send you to our most important client looking like that. There are a few clean uniforms in the back. Find one that fits and get changed. Quickly, you can't be late to this house. Lacey handed her a white card with a name and address on it. And he lives in Las Campanas, so you better get moving. Andy read the card once, then twice to be sure. Wide-eyed, she looked up at Lacey. Her new boss held up a hand. I know what you're going to say. No one else wanted him either. Stupid skinwalker rumors don't even make sense. He's not Navajo. But it doesn't matter. Everyone else swore they wouldn't go within a hundred yards of his house. She bit her lip. For a split second, Andy thought her new boss might cry. Lacey swallowed hard and shook her head. He's willing to pay more than any other client I have. He could save my business. The muscles in her throat tensed. Look, I know you're new, but you're my last hope. And if you'll take him, I'll double your pay. Andy said, full-time pay? Yes. Lacey pulled out a clipboard and flipped through the pages. And he has no wife, no kids, just one pet, a bird. He likes to entertain, so be prepared for after-party messes, cleaning guest rooms, that kind of stuff, okay? Oh, and one other thing. He asked that whoever works there not have... Lacey read from her clipboard. Self-inflicted scars body piercings, or tattoos. Wants a clean-cut look, I think. Lacey cradled the clipboard. You don't have any tattoos or piercings I can't see, do you? Andy barely heard the question as her mind began calculating and new possibilities stacked around her. Double the pay, half the time to freedom. Lacey rubbed her forehead. Look, I know it's a lot to ask. My most experienced staff wouldn't even take him. But if you're not willing, I don't know what else to do. I guess I could take him myself, but I already have a... I'll take him, Andy blurted, folded the card, and shoved it in her pants pocket. I'll take the skinwalker. Section 2. Parties. 2.1. The Big House From a distance, the glass-and-steel mansion looked like a deep gash in the fleshy pink hills. It was different from other Santa Fe mega-houses, made of sleek ebony glass, with not a hint of adobe or Spanish tile. Even the stairs to the door were cool, gray slate. Ornamental grasses grew from koi pools along the walk, and a tepid breeze meandered along their ticklish tops. Rand knelt in the garage, glossing up the tires of a new Mercedes, erasing all memory of the coral Santa Fe dust from their skin. Just then, the familiar squeak-squeak of hand-me-down bicycle wheels pulled his attention, his head prairie-dogged up. 
A slim girl in black jeans and a baby blue smock pushed a rickety green bike up the drive. Rand stared as his mouth grew dry as cotton. The girl leaned the rust-spotted Schwinn against a boulder and began the trek up the deep slate steps to the door. Running her hand along the ornamental grass, she smiled like a child. The chauffeur took a knee and pressed his forehead against the car, sweat wetting the black paint where his skin touched. The girl stood, dwarfed in front of the door, gawking and searching the 15-foot hand-polished zebra wood slab for handles. It took her a full five minutes just to find the bell. When she finally did, a mellow gong echoed inside. The door swung back. Cool, humid air breathed out. Jonathan Chen stood at the door. 5'11", part Asian, 40-ish. Veins popped along his muscular arms and neck, and on one ear he wore a tiny, engraved jade ear cuff. The girl tried not to stare. Mr. Adams? Chen didn't respond. Are you Mr. Adams? She asked louder and slower, unsure if he spoke English. That depends, he rasped. It... what? Whether or not I'm Adams depends on who you are. Oh, um, I'm Andy Scoggin. She hugged a carryall stuffed with bottles, rags, brushes, and a sack lunch to her chest. From Whispering Mountain Maids. You're 17 minutes late, Andy. I didn't know it would take so long to ride my bike up the hill. Chen just stared. She gripped the carryall harder and swallowed hard. I'm sorry, it won't happen again. Be sure it doesn't. Time is something I hold precious. I expect you to do the same. Finally, he stepped back and swung the door wide. Mr. Adams is not on the premises today. I'm Mr. Chen. Come in. The mansion's entryway stretched out before them. Black stone tile covered the floor, and long skylights sliced through the ceiling above. A fountain lined with iridescent glass tile covered an entire wall, and the decadent scent and weight of water filled the air. Why don't you set those down? Chen pointed to the carryall. And you won't need to bring them again. I won't? No, of course not. He turned to face her, irritated. What did your boss tell you about Mr. Adams? Andy hesitated, her mind digging through the crazy rumors. Uh, not much. Chan squared his shoulders and recited, Mr. Adams is a high-end broker. He trades in stocks, bonds, antiques, art, and other valuables. Because of the climate, he'll be storing many of his more fragile pieces here. You'll be cleaning areas where very rare items are displayed or stored, and you'll need to be precise. One spritz of the wrong cleaner or misplaced elbow could destroy a piece worth millions. That's why we only work with companies that bond and insure their employees, and why we don't allow you to use your own supplies. Understand? 
Andy swallowed to help her drawing throat and nodded. I'll teach you what you need to do. But be aware that Mr. Adams is particular, and you'll be on probation for the first few weeks until you prove yourself. Also, there are certain areas of the house you won't be cleaning and won't be allowed to enter. Come, I'll give you a tour. She set the carry-all on the floor, wiped the sweat from her palms, grabbed her lunch, and followed. We're on the top floor, or fourth full floor of the house, Chen said, walking briskly. There are three other floors and a basement below. Since the house is built into the hill, some of the floors are only exposed from the back. Chen stroked a dark wood wall panel. Most of the wood in the house is mahogany or zebra wood, Chen said and pointed down. And the floors are polished lava tile. Coral sand from Andy's shoes lay scattered at her feet. Pink constellations on the yards of glossy black. Chen exhaled loudly when he saw that the new girl was already making a mess. Come, we have a lot to cover. Chen led Andy into a cavernous hallway, bright white alcoves cut into the dark wood walls, filled with ancient helmets, pottery, knives, tapestries, jewelry, books, and coins. Andy lingered, trying to look at the artifacts, but Chen moved too quickly. She skip-ran to keep up. Finally, Chen stopped next to a human skull with emerald-studded teeth, one Luke Scoggin would have loved. Obsessed with skeletons, slasher movies, and Tim Burton, the one male Scoggin sibling had been nicknamed Spooky Luke long ago. He'd liked it so much it stuck. Andy promised herself she would show the skull to Luke someday. Next to the skull hung a wall-mounted screen. It lit up at Chen's touch. This is the management system. It controls the locks, alarms, and climate settings for each room, as well as the fireproofing. He glanced at a crevice above his head. In case of a temperature swing or on command, metal walls drop from above, sealing each room with a fireproof skin. So please don't touch the system. If you do, you could get trapped somewhere you don't want to be. Got it? Andy bit her lip and nodded. And I shouldn't have to mention this, but I will. Should you be tempted at any time to take an item home without permission, be aware we have hidden cameras, pressure plates, and alarms hidden throughout the house, and we will prosecute any theft to the full extent of the law. Understand? Yes, sir. Of course. You don't have to worry about that with me. I plan on being a lawyer someday. Chen's shoulders dropped a bit at the sound of the word someday and the sight of the girl's wide eyes. He looked away from her to gather himself, then barked, Good. Let's move on. Chen marched Andy past a living room, music room, library, cigar room, several guest suites, office, art studio, massage room, sunroom, full gym, and dojo on the top floor. Andy lingered in the sunroom, taking in the panoramic view of the city beyond. Miss Goggin, keep up, Chen snapped and walked faster, shaking his head. Each floor has its own supply closet. He stopped 
and opened a panel in the wall. Inside were stacks of bottles, colored rags, and row upon row of gray discs. Solutions are labeled with what they are formulated to clean. Please only use them for that purpose, or you could do irreparable damage. Okay, she whispered. In a nearby cubby next to a gold pharaoh's headdress hung what looked like an oversized matted hairball with sleeves. It stuck out, something so ugly and rough in the middle of so much beauty. Andy leaned in to look closer, then grimaced. Are you judging that artifact before you know what it is? Chen asked. She shrugged. It's a salise, Chen said. She shook her head. It's a hair shirt, worn by monks through the ages as a form of self-punishment, a way to clean the evil from their soul, find redemption. It's a very rare artifact. She'd learned about self-punishment in the movie Angels and Demons, 2009, one of her father's favorites. And this one is unusual. Most salises are made of animal fur, but this piece is made of human hair and very old. It's extremely valuable. The placard inside read 1025 CE. Do priests still do that? Self-punishment? Andy wondered aloud and scratched her neck. Will Chris? We need to keep moving, Chen said then hustled down the hall. Make up for lost time. Andy struggled to keep up with him, remember everything he said, and keep track of where she was in the house. By the fourth hallway, she began memorizing artifact locations. Breadcrumbs to help her find her way out, just in case. Chen stopped at a set of doors inlaid with silver and mother-of-pearl. This is the service elevator for the floors below. The third floor holds the casino, video game room, billiard, spa, photo studio, and movie theater. Permanent staff quarters, including mine, are also on that floor. The second floor contains the showrooms. The show... The galleries where Mr. Adams displays his collections for private clients... Rest assured, you won't be allowed in them until you've passed probation. The ground floor holds more kitchens, the wine cellar, and a banquet hall we call the court. Oh, Andy said coolly, like everyone's house had a movie theater, casino, and banquet hall. And there's a basement? Yes, but that floor is off-limits for you. It contains the vaults and the incinerator— Mr. Adams doesn't believe in landfill, so what can't be recycled, we burn. You'll see color-coded garbage chutes throughout the house. The one that goes to the incinerator is red, but be absolutely certain you want to burn whatever you drop in. The fire is motion-activated and instantaneous. If anything goes down, it's gone for good. Now keep up. I don't have much more time for you today. He checked his watch. Yes, sir. In her entire life, Andy had only ever called two people, sir. A judge who spoke at her school and her principal. But with Mr. Chen, instinct told her she should add him to the list. 
And one more thing, he stopped and faced her. There may be times when Mr. Adams is home that you come across closed doors. If you hear people behind them, do not, under any circumstances, go in. In fact, try to stay out of his way in general. Mr. Adams is very busy and conducts delicate negotiations here. If you were to disturb him, it would be detrimental for everyone. Understand? After telling her family she'd be working for Adams, the Scoggins had taken bets on what he was like. Jenna said he was short, fat, pockmarked, and angry about it. Liz guessed he was a tree-hugging genius with a Rasputin beard and an attitude. Shane guessed Adams was kind and tall with a killer golf swing. Luke said he looked like Tony Hawk. Big surprise. When Andy'd Googled him, she'd found zero images and not a single search result. When is he home? she asked. Not often. He has businesses and homes around the world. Like where? She began her usual interrogation of new people and places. Mr. Chen dropped his chin and exhaled. Oh, Andy's nerves buzzed. Should I not have asked that? Miss Scoggin, Mr. Adams isn't like other people. And because of his wealth and the clients he deals with, his privacy is paramount. Information leaks of any kind could be dangerous for him legally, financially, even physically. He turned to face her. You did sign the non-disclosure agreement that we sent to Whispering Mountain, didn't you? The NDA? Yes, sir. And you understand it means you can't talk about anything that goes on here. What Mr. Adams says, who his clients are, his property, nothing? She nodded, pushed up her glasses, and quickly wiped the string of sweat she discovered on her upper lip. Good. Chen adjusted his ear cuff and said, The kitchen is next. Pulling back a set of huge double doors, Chen revealed a massive kitchen. It housed three ovens, two fridges, a walk-in freezer, and a center island that could seat at least ten people on one side. Is there a kitchen staff? Andy asked. We mostly fend for ourselves. Mr. Adams doesn't like a lot of people underfoot. In fact, besides Rand, the driver, a few security personnel, and the gardeners, you and I constitute the entirety of the household staff. We hire temporary help when needed, like for the party scheduled tomorrow night. Five hundred guests. Andy's face involuntarily warped. Five hundred? Don't worry, Chen said, then paused, noticing Andy's bruise in the sunlight. He hesitated, wondering, worried he hadn't noticed it before. It was unusual for him to miss a detail that important. He said, We've hired full catering and cleaning crews. You'll only need to work your normal shift. Just then, a burly chauffeur walked in. Oh, Rand. Let me introduce you to Miss Scoggin. Rand stopped and stood still. Hi, she said. It's just Andy. Miss Scoggin? Rand is Mr. Adams' driver. Mr. Adams can't drive? She chuckled innocently. Chen clenched his teeth, 
No, he said slowly. He knows how to drive. He just likes to be efficient with his time. Rand drives while Mr. Adams works, takes calls, that sort of thing. The driver couldn't stop staring at Andy. She fidgeted with her lunch. Rand, you can have the kitchen if you'd like. We're done, Chen said, then opened one of the double fridges. Put your lunch here, Andy. Then you can get to work. Andy laid her mangled lunch on a cold shelf and followed Chen out. Let's get you started in the library. Round and brilliantly lit, the library was ripe with the smell of fresh wood stain and Febreze. Ladders on tracks stretched up row after row of empty shelves, and towers of boxes rose from the floor beside each one. Between sets of shelves were white walls covered with ancient masks, Celtic, Venetian, African, Native American, Greek, Haitian, and others. Dozens of blank-eyed faces, quietly witnessing the inner workings at the heart of Adams's house. Chen quickly dove into instructing Andy on the strict three-step process of solutions and treated rags for cleaning shelves and placing books. Then he handed her surgical gloves and said, I'll leave you to it. He held up a finger. And no mistakes. This isn't like other libraries. Each piece is valuable. Andy nodded, her throat tightening. Yes, sir, no mistakes. He looked at the new maid. No, looked through her for a moment, then nodded and turned to go.